Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to the latest Countryside Podcast here on Manx Radio, the last in the current series, unfortunately, but it's an interesting one. Nevertheless, Kiri went along and spoke to Sandy Hoyton from the Manx Hedgehog Conservation Society to find out the latest news there and uh, what you can do uh, to help the Isle of Man preserve hedgehogs and uh, look after them, because obviously uh, very vulnerable out on our open roads, so uh, some good uh, information to be passed on there. And I went along to my first ever polo match here on the Isle of Man. I spoke to some of the members of the Treskillian Polo Club here on the island and some people from Cheshire who were visiting the island to take part in the friendly competition. I found out more about the rules, what sort of horses are involved and how difficult a sport it is to get into. So all that to listen to, just sit back and enjoy. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, polo seems to be a rather recent addition to the ever-growing list of sporting recreations here on the Isle of Man. And last weekend, I went along to the Great Meadow in Castletown to watch the Isle of Man team in action in a friendly tournament involving teams from the UK. There I met up with Fraser Houston, the general manager of Treskillian Polo Club here on the island. And firstly, I asked him how long they'd been going. We've been set up now about 20 months as a fully registered HPA club. So going going into our uh, going into our second summer season, which we're you know only just at the beginning of, we've got 26 members now. We're up to 25 horses now, including liveries. You know, ones that ones that we've sold and people have kept them with us on livery. You know, so that sort of allows us to play. You know, because the amount of polo you can play is limited by the amount of horses. So we're up to a good number of horses now, a good number of members, and new people coming along all the time. You know, and picking up the sport. So it's yeah, I'm. I'm we're ahead of schedule. We're doing better than we thought we would at this stage, which is really, really great news. People think, oh, well, I'll have to, if I want to get involved, I'll come and watch it and I'll just go out and buy a horse and maybe the rest of the equipment isn't too bad. But that's not the case. No, not at all. If you want to have a go at playing polo, it's as simple as ring up the club or send, or email the club, which is, is on the website at www.triskillianpolo.club and then we can uh, we book you in for a lesson and uh, if you come along with a friend basically if there's one or more people more persons then it's uh, then it's 45 pounds an hour with all equipment and everything provided including the horse including right, the yeah. horse yeah and the coach and the use of the grounds and everything all in if you wanted to come on your own it's 65 pounds for an hour's introduction lesson Generally, people come for two or three, maybe you know, maybe a couple more private lessons, and then they'll join in with a group of people that sort of started off at a similar time to them, and then they uh, then they do group lessons, they learn the rules, and uh, and just progress from there. And people take it at their own pace, you know. Like so obviously, it's quite a fast and furious sport, you know. It's it's, it's a contact sport on horses, as you, as you saw today. You know, we're going at 35 mile an hour bashing into each other. So you know, different people take it at their own pace, and we've got a really nice bunch of horses you know that you can put someone on who's never ever ridden before and they will look after them they know how to teach people yeah because i suppose the the different thing about riding it from from a normal horse is when you pull on the reins with your right hand and pull it with the left yeah. I suppose you're only steering them with one hand because you've got one hand on the on yeah. the stick or the mallet is it yeah oh. yeah uh, mallet or stick yeah no it's it's a different way of riding it's I suppose you could compare it to Western style riding, but it well it is fairly different. 
but yeah you know the, the horses are very responsive they go when you say they stop when you say you know they, they they're a nice bunch i suppose a lot of horse riding events uh, you see the top ones where it's taken quite seriously there seems to be a great sort of camaraderie amongst the people involved in a- absolutely pretty much everything we do finishes up with either a beer or a glass of wine afterwards <laughs> it's very social got a really really nice bunch of like-minded people that's growing all the time as well you know they're very welcoming because obviously everyone here has only started playing polo within the last you know 18 months or maybe a touch more so they want to welcome new members and uh, and make sure there's more people coming into the sport and the more people playing the more polo we've got going on the more the more fun there is for everyone so yeah well of course you've got two visiting teams over this weekend and what other future events have you got coming up that people want to maybe come come down and have a look at it first of all yeah absolutely we've got uh, on the 9th of july we've got the hospice charity polo obviously in aid of in aid of hospice that down here at great meadows that's it, down yeah? down here at great meadows yeah so it's a five five pound entry fee per person children come in free or there is match day dining tables available so you can sit in the in the vip marquee and uh, and that's fully licensed and then we've got the army polo match that is for the commonwealth games association on the island uh, they're they're, uh, they're trying to get some money together to, to send our team away and, uh, and and win us some medals and that's hosted by the Claremont Hotel that's going to be three, you know a sit-down meal um, you know all very very smart yeah so all in all uh, happy with the with such a I suppose following in such a short time absolutely I, uh, you know because obviously we're well we're stopovers I've been told I said come over to start with but we're, we're stopovers but yeah the amount of help that we've had has been uh, you know we've everyone's been very welcoming people go out their way to help us all the time just have a chat with one of one of our visiting team members who is I'm Paul Paul Thomason yeah, and you're from the which club Cheshire Polo Club. How long have you been involved in polo? I've been playing polo now for about eight or nine seasons. Yeah. I used to do a lot of eventing prior to that. And when I got fed up with eventing, I thought I'd have a crack at polo before I got too old and knackered to <laughs> play anymore. So, and unfortunately, it's very, very, very addictive. So, how does it compare? I mean, is is it a lot more relaxed and and fun than eventing, or? Yeah, it is a lot more fun. Eventing tent these days, I think, has got very serious. You know, the games today have been brilliant because we're all really just, you know, everybody who plays will, is competitive by nature, but it's been a really, really good-natured game today. Mm. It's been a lot of fun, and we've all been had a bit of a laugh and a joke out there while we've been playing today, so it's been a really nice atmosphere. Yeah, you say people get competitive. What about the horses? Do they get like that? Oh, yeah, some of them do, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I've got a couple of my horses that, you know, in a ride-off, which is when you ride your horse, into an opponent to try and push them off the ball they just do not give up you can't sideswipe them like a a thing though can you is it more sort of shoulder to shoulder shoulder to shoulder yes so that you ride you you try and push your opponent sideways off the line of the ball so the horse needs to be fit enough for that they've got to be fit and they've they've got to be tough they've got to be brave they've got to be obedient so yeah but I mean how has it changed since since you've been involved is is it a sport that I suppose it used to be classed as maybe more the upper class one but there seems to be everyone playing it I think it's like like most sports really at the the top level it's an incredibly expensive sport so it attracts you know very wealthy people and in the past that meant you know a lot of landed gentry that's not so much these days but at the lower levels the levels that we're playing here today you know anybody literally can come and take part and you can play at the lower level without spending a huge amount of money so in that respect it's great anybody can come and have a go you're gonna have another battle tomorrow then yep 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We've got the final and the subsidiary final tomorrow. So, um, in a way, it's a shame that you know we haven't got an Isle of Man team in the final. We've got you know, two Cheshire teams playing each other, but it'll yeah, it'll be good fun. Good. Well, thanks for talking to us, and good luck in the final. Thank you very much. Well, Laurie Hickey, you're one of the the stars of the Isle of Man team. Yeah. I'm told. Give, give it a go. Give <laughs> it a shot. Just be <laughs> playing for Cheshire, so it's a bit awkward, but could be worse. <laughs> How long have you been playing? Uh, a few years now. Um, when I, f- I did a little bit at uni, then I stopped, and then I didn't like my job, so I just quit it and just went into polo instead. So, so yeah, it's gone well. But, but it all ha- has it that you're uh, fairly good at and up and coming in it. And is it is it a difficult sport to get in in I near the top? It's hard to get to the top, but I think if you just sort of commit to it and give it all, then it's all right. I think you've just got to accept that you've got no social life and you've got no money. <laughs> Is it that much dedication you have to put yeah, in? Yeah, I think it, what as much as you give, you get back sort of thing. So if you, you know, if you're just going to bumble along, you just bumble along. But if you fully commit, then you're going to get all you want from it. What's the sort of things you, you've learned over the years? What's the uh, anyone up and coming? What's the sort of most important thing, things you learn as you go along? Your horsemanship's everything. Like, you know, most people can be taught to hit a ball, but your horses make you. So if you've got, you know, if you're not that good at riding or something like that, you've got rubbish horses, you're only as good as your horses. So I think the horses are the key part. Yeah, and is it, is it gelling with the horse? Yeah, yeah, you've got to know them. I think, like, with my ones, like, I know how they go and how to play them to their advantages <laughs> and what they do best. And what about the future for you? Would you like to, to get up to the the GB squad or something? I'd like, like to give it a shot, but I'll see how it goes. Yeah. One step at a time. I'll do well, Cheshire then. <laughs> Go from there. <laughs> Good luck. Cheers, thank you. Well, one of our stars of local polo there, Laurie Hickey. Before that, Paul Thomason from the Cheshire Polo Club. And then Fraser Houston there, first of all, the general manager of the Treskillian Polo Club here on the island. <laughs> Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, some wildlife that's been part of certainly the wildlife here on the Isle of Man, Kiri, is the is the hedgehogs. And uh, there's a new initiative going, isn't there now? Yes, the uh, Manx Hedgehog Conservation Society have started up a group back in May 2015 to uh, encourage and give advice to the Manx public about the rehabilitation and preservation of sick and injured hedgehogs. Because when you go around the Isle of Man, it is a sad scene where you see loads of hedgehogs and uh, some of them have, have been injured and, and if not, you know, deceased around the roads and everything. And it's pretty sad. And I suppose the more we can do to, to give them some shelter and protection is the is the main aim of the group, I'd imagine. Well, this is it. They can go along and learn how to look after them or even take in an orphaned one. You find lots of little ones wandering around aimlessly. They can go to the sanctuary, hopefully, in uh, years to come when they get it built and um, have a base to foster these little orphan hedgehogs off. But uh, at the minute, they're certainly putting plenty of advice out and I popped along to see Sandy Hoyton to find out more. When they're walking, they might find a hedgehog, what to do. They're odd little characters, really, and they're quite mystical, aren't they? Because we just don't see them for half the year. Although... To the end of May 2015, we still had foraging hedgehogs out in January. Wow. And they know something that we don't know because we were all talking about quite a gentle, calm, dampish sort of winter and they were still foraging. Wow. Where we've got the dampness, we've got the slugs and the snails. But it wasn't cold enough for them to go. But within a week... Of the cold snap, they disappeared. Went to hibernate. Yeah, because we, we have phone calls of people saying, oh, I'm still feeding my hedgehog. 
am I keeping the hedgehog awake? Ah, really concerned about, I, I'm feeding them, they're still coming to forage. We're in December. I mean, one hedgehog got roast turkey. Uh, <laughs> so we, we were, honestly, Christmas dinner. Christmas dinner, the hedgehog got roast turkey. Um, and um, yeah, and they just said, is it a, you know keeping these hedgehogs awake by feeding because they're just like greedy, greedy and mm. they're eating and they're not going to sleep? And I said, no, absolutely not. They're just wild the animals. Change of climate. When they stop eating, we know the cold weather's moving in and they usually go about a week before. They can smell it yeah. and they go, right, time to go. And they were all great big fat puddings because um, they'd had a lot of extra time to forage. Oh, yeah. um, but the problem we found is because we had quite um, a calm, mild, dampish winter, we had third litter hoglets being born. So you normally have the hoglets, which are the baby hedgehogs, which is a great, cute name. Um, they're normally born you know, in the spring. And they forage and get to be a good, you know, seven, eight, nine grams of hedgehog to go and have a successful hibernation. Mm -hmm. But we had second litter being born in September. So there was babies running around hoglets in November. And then we had lots of calls coming in of babies running around hoglets um, in January. Oh, I see. Yeah. So we have a wonderful community of foster carers, hedgehog um, foster carers. So they took on the juveniles. And so these we, were orphans, were yeah, they then? Yeah, these were orphans. And people ask us, how do you know it's an orphan? First of all, immediately when people phone us up, I ask them, this is going to sound a bit funny, but I say, are you looking at a hedgehog that resembles the size of a pineapple? Or are you looking at a hedgehog that resembles the size of a grapefruit or an orange? If we're looking tangerine, we're in serious trouble. Oh, yeah. And they said, oh gosh, it's about the size of an orange. Well, if you've got a little orange-sized hedgehog, that tells me that is under 300 grams if that is in winter, past October, November, moving December, January, those hedgehogs will perish. They just don't have the fat reserve. They have to have a healthy fat reserve, which gives them the good weight of eight, 900 grams. So any hedgehog that's resembling the size of a, a grapefruit to an orange, we collect them. We bring them in. The charity looks after them. When we're happy, we then transfer onto our foster carers. And believe me, we have a long list of uh, waiting people to be uh, foster carers because it's such a lovely humble thing to do and you know but we also have to explain to them that don't mother the hedgehog you know this is a wild animal yeah. feed water clean out keep checking on them but try and give them enough ability to go back into the wild otherwise you can completely wreck a hedgehog's ability to go back in the wild you can tame a hedgehog literally mm. so it's okay i really don't want to go in the wild this is a bit of a cushy life um you you can overhandle them so they were all really good um, and we released these hedgehogs, nine of them, end of April. And again, it was still dodgy, the weather, because we had a, a really strange hailstoning day <laughs> the day before, and we were a bit concerned, oh dear, you know, because it was late to release them. We wanted to release them earlier because naturally they would have been out finding a mate and producing young, but it was just not the right time no. weather-wise, and we had to forget the calendar on this one, and we had to go by temperature. Yeah. Um, and so that was the whole reason why we were late releasing them. But it was still quite cold. But the day we released them, it was a beautiful late um, tea time weather. And it was just smashing. And, and off they went. All very emotional, but it was good. And uh, we're picking up hedgehogs all the time. And, you know, we have to be careful whether they're males or females. And it's important that the public understand this. Because if you remove a female, you know, any time from spring to, you know, this time of year, you know, from that particular area, she could have young back in the nest. And then mm. we've got hoglets that will starve to death because they're mammals and they take mummy's milk for about five six weeks and then she takes them out on a foraging night and loses them literally and that's also 
when we get phone calls saying, oh dear, we found, you know, a really young little orphaned hedgehog. It, it looks like an orphan because it's on its own and it's not good. And that's because they have to be the warriors of the wild. And even as little as six to seven, eight weeks, they've got to grasp it quick. You know, well, if they're born at the right time of year mm. in April, they can survive mm. and grow into... Yeah, so it is important that if anybody sees a foraging young hedgehog, and we're talking sort of like an orange size, in the evening, don't automatically presume that it's, it's sick because it's little and it has to grow and it has to forage, it has to put the weight on. So please don't remove it from its area unless it's wobbling, which is a great problem we've had with dehydration in this heat wave. If it looks fine and it's not injured, just let it go. Please, if it's on the road, be safe, get out your car and place it back over the hedge or something. But they're quite territorial and it would be wrong to just pick it up and, and take it to a really, really safe place immediately because it's in its area, it's, it's doing well, it's, it's thriving. So orphans, only if they're wobbling and they're sick and there's all sorts of diseases that they can get, but we assess that as we get them in. But this time of year, the young hedgehogs are now, they're, they're putting on the weight nicely and they're, they're looking quite good. We lost quite a lot. A lot of phone calls came in saying we found a little baby dead hedgehog and we brought some in that were very severely dehydrated because the ground was drying up, the water source was disappearing. They knew on their mission and they just didn't know what to do and um, that was very sad. And in fact, that if we had a heat wave all summer and it went on to September, I think we could have probably lost a lot of hedgehogs. The weather is certainly wreaking havoc, judging by what you're saying. You know, the, the long, mild, wet winters we're having and obviously the heat through the summer. Well, global warming um, is affecting hedgehogs in a, in a natural sense, but somebody asked me only last week, what's the biggest predator in the Isle of Man to a hedgehog? And I said, human beings. And when I said it, I thought, God, I feel ashamed to be a human being. But, you know, we've also had lots of phone calls of pesticide death pesticide death for a hedgehog is horrific it's horrible it's painful it doesn't need to happen poisonous slug pellets that go out which are the blue we can distinctly tell because of the color of them they do the job of killing the slugs and snails but we're in a food chain here so we have a hedgehog foraging on a poisonous slug and snail and a young one will die an adult one will get very poorly and may die may not die birds die they fly away we don't know what happens exactly there but um pesticide kill um is is a is a big part of educating the public in you can change there's a lovely product called earth matters and it does the same job some people still using the beer method <laughs> you know after the heavy friday night stick the beer in the ground and uh, get rid of the slugs and snails some talk eggshells i've not found that to really work some people use grapefruit yeah. and they actually turn the grapefruit upside down and it attracts the slugs and snails underneath and then the hedgehog comes along and, and takes them that way so everyone has different ways one lady told us about copper tape Never heard of that one, actually. And she said that works. She doesn't like to use anything that's got any chemicals in it of any description. So, um, yeah, it's all very interesting. And, and we have lots and lots of people come forth on the Facebook page and phone us and tell us, we're doing this, we're doing this. Are we doing this right? I've done this. Oh, dear. You know, so it's a bit like Hedgehog Hotline. And I answer that phone as much as I can, but I do work. So sometimes I have to phone people back. We do our best. But also you've got a lovely visitor centre coming up. You've applied for planning permission and it's yeah. all going ahead. Yeah, I can't believe this all happened in the first year of um, founding this charity. But I, I was very passionate about starting it having been brought up in the country on a farm myself, surrounded by wildlife, and having hedgehogs in my care for quite a few years now, it just felt right. And the inspiration behind the charity were two hedgehogs called Mr Nosy and Mr Dozy that came into my care as tiny little hoglets in October at East Baldwin. I thought they were dead. They were very tiny and it was very wet and I picked them up and they were limp and I thought, oh dear, there was a little bit of uh, life still in them. And I have to say that it was just amazing to be 
part of my own real first rehabilitation and actually to get them to survive was amazing and um, and then one didn't want to hibernate the first year and then the second one did and he survived hibernation for six months and when he walked out on April the 8th I actually said 2015 I am starting a charity I've got to do something here and everybody loves hedgehogs and it's also involved a lot of people on the Alaman who are very arty and crafty we've had mm -hmm. so many phone calls saying we want to make this we want to make this can we make this and, and try and sell it and help provide money to help you build um, this Hedgehog Visitor Centre, which is going to be in the parish of St Mark's. Planning's all gone through. We do need to raise £80,000. I know that's an awful lot of money, but this is just going to be absolutely awesome for education, youth groups, the public, tourism, and people who generally love the environment and wildlife, because we hope to also have a display within the the centre, the visitor centre of the surrounding wildlife in the area because there's a lot of nocturnal life. There's a few owls flying about mm -hmm. there, which are there beautiful. Is. You know, we've obviously got the hedgehogs in that area as well. And there's bats and there's, there's a lot of wonderful... So we want to do lots of nighttime watch, nighttime observation. We've got charities wanting to build hedgehog boxes. So we've got things going on like that. There's just so much to talk about. <laughs> this is where the education centre really needs to be built and we can bring in the public and it can only get better. It's doing really well but it can only get better and I think getting those kids out there, involving them in you know learning about what we can do to help hedgehogs, learning about a sick one, a healthy one, a good size one, not a good size one, the diet, the old bread and milk, absolutely not. They will eat it but it will make them poorly because they're lactose intolerant. I mean, I had somebody phone me up only last week. He'd injured a hedgehog, God love him. Um, and he was like, what do I do? What do I do? Um, and he's gardening, uh, he was gardening a, a wild patch in his garden. And um, he said, but, you know, the hibernating, you know, we're talking about an adult man who actually believed at this time of year that hedgehogs were hibernating. They sleep during the day, but they're nocturnal and they're very active at night. So they're not hibernating. Hibernating is a complete and utter sleep of taking the heartbeat from 190 down to 20 beats a minute. And that's oh, when they go into literally like a semi-dead state, actually. Um, so educating the people is very important yeah, then, and yeah, this will yeah. certainly help. But yeah. also you're making awareness through Hector the Hedgehog. Yeah, Hector the Hedgehog. We love Hector the Hedgehog. A very lovely lady contacted me and said she had a beautiful knitted hedgehog and he's standing up. Um, he's in a position where you can really see his body and he's got a little knitted hot water bottle because, you know, they need a certain temperature to allow them to survive as well. And he's just absolutely adorable. So she asked me, would I sell him? And she said, I think we could get £20 for this hedgehog. So I went to go and see her. I took one look at him, totally fell in love with him. Aww. Together we created the name Hector the Hedgehog. This is a wonderful lady called Pippa. And I said, we're going to do more with this hedgehog than just sell him for £20. I think this hedgehog can do a lot of work in the Isle of Man. So uh, we launched him on our Facebook page not so long ago. And Hector the Hedgehog is going to be travelling around the Isle of Man. And I really want to help and support businesses here in the Isle of Man. I think that's really important. And at the same time, bring awareness to the nature of the charity and the work that we're, we're aiming for. So he's going to be popping up around certain businesses who choose to offer a gift or a prize. So Hector is going to be photographed so that you've got to try and guess where he is around that business and if you get it right, you'll win that prize. Yeah, I'm not going to say too much more about that because <laughs> Hector's off somewhere very soon. And um, if I say where it is, you'll all guess and then um, that will be the end of that. So, um, yeah, that's on our Facebook. So you, you would have to have access to the Internet to know where Hector's going to be. How do people get in touch with you? Is it just Facebook or do you have a website as well? We're on manxhedgehogs at gmail.com. 
You can phone Hedgehog Hotline. That's Sandy, founder of the charity. That's 413-921. Facebook page, Manx Hedgehog Conservation Society. We are about to have our website built and created. So that's actually on the go and that's going to be very informative because if people can't get hold of the charity they can at least go to the website and we'll have everything that you need to know information wise on what do you do if you find a hedgehog and yeah. what do you feed them and what do we do next and but uh, people can find you on the facebook and find us on the facebook if anybody wants to help in any fundraising event we're really very grateful for anyone that wants to get stuck in and to be honest um, one lady sold ice lollies after school and made 30 pounds do you know what every little penny counts we're not asking for wads and wads we are suggesting that some businesses if they want to give anything over 500 we are going to have a plaque made outside the visitor centre oh. with a, a, a plaque of gratitude. Mm-hmm. And we've also got GoFundMe, which is on our Facebook page. And again, we'll have a book of gratitude of anybody, £5, £10, whatever it is. Every little penny will make this happen. And we do hope to have lots of craft days as well in the centre when that's created. At the moment, we're sort of on the road a lot. <laughs> but when we have a base, you know, that's going to draw the people to the centre so we can do lots of nice things with the public. That was Sandy Hoyton from the Manx Hedgehog Conservation Society. Ever been pricked by one? No, I do try and catch them, but they're very fast. Yeah, they are fast. When you see them just... It's a shame that they roll into a ball, I it suppose, is, isn't, isn't it? it? So, uh, yeah, they can motor on when when they need to, certainly. And especially when they're, they're pretty good hunters, I think, as well, with the sounds of things. Yeah, they, they like to eat the slugs and the snails, but also they'll tackle an animal sort of similar size to themselves as well. Yeah, I wouldn't think they'd need to get much speed on to catch a slug <laughs> or snail. <laughs> I suppose not. <laughs> Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, it just goes to show you we can feature any bizarre things on Countryside. Uh, Hedgehogs there, Kerry talking to Sandy Hoyton about the Manx Hedgehog Conservation Society and a very worthwhile charity as well uh, because of the vulnerability of the hedgehogs, particularly on the uh, open roads around the Isle of Man as well. But not that, uh, not just that. Of course, um, the, the bonfire times and all that, where they where they hide and are looking for places to hibernate, and very interesting, and some great uh, bits of advice there from Sandy. And also, members of the Treskillian Polo Club here on the Isle of Man, uh, Fraser Houston there, doing a sterling job uh, getting everyone involved in that. And uh, such a social uh, event it was when I was at it as well, and the visiting teams uh, from Cheshire and the like from the UK enjoying it immensely as well. And not quite as hard to get into as as people would realize so uh, good some interesting ones but that's it for the current series of countryside we'll be back in the very near future with another series then so until then from kiri and myself bye-bye don't sit in the slow lane join the fast lane right now with shaw's all new super fast plus broadband Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.